0: Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and I am joined with by Andrea Lipinski and Matt Bianco. Welcome back, everybody. Glad to be here. Let's do it. We're going to jump back into The Lawgivers, which is Plutarch's uh, Parallel Lives of Numa Pompilius and Lycurgus of Sparta. If you've been listening along, you know we, we are up to his comparison of the two lawgivers, and so we're going to combine that with our Q&A. It's a little bit shorter section, and it'll give us some good things to talk about. But before we get into that, I, I want to thank our sponsors this month, the Honors College at Belmont Abbey. We'll be sponsoring all the shows on Overdue Classics this November. They are right there in the backyard of Cersei. Belmont is just on the other side of, of Charlotte from the Cersei offices. So good friends and good partners over there at Belmont Abbey. The Honors College engages in the cultivation of the mind through the study and discussion of some of the greatest texts of the past and present Combining experiences with the classroom, with excursions beyond, the Honors College offers this foundational liberal arts education that prepares students for the ever-changing landscapes of life. A uh, Few of Matt's kids have been part of that college uh, in the past, as well as some Cersei's staff. So all, all good.
1: Oh, college, yeah. The yeah. Honors College was, is newer. So my daughter went through it, but my other mm-hmm. son graduated or was already started before they- Gotcha. He was in the Honors Program. But then, but then eventually they created the honors college, but yeah, it's a great program. In, in fact, I remember my daughter having to borrow my Plutarch because they <laughs> were, they were in one of her classes. So.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you've been around the Cersei conferences the last several years or, um, I think we've even had Joe on at some point. Uh, Joe Isaki is the, is directs that program, um, has been a great addition to this, to the group of speakers and things that we have at the conferences. And so just a really good option for those of you out there looking for some place to send your classically educated, uh, students or, or children. So please check them out. Uh, you can find out more at bac.edu backslash honors. And I'll drop that link into our show notes as well. So thanks again for uh, to the Honors College of Belmont Abbey for sponsoring the shows this month on Overdue Classics. All right. We remi- remembered that it was Andrea's turn to do our, our uh, narration. So take it away, Andrea.
2: Yeah. So the Hicks brothers start off with some things they have in common um, that they both had moderation, a attention to piety, and a genius for government. And then they start going through some differences. And I like that with each difference, they pull them apart. And so when it came to government, Lycurgus laid it down and Numa picked it up. And when it came to uh, the rules, Lycurgus was hard and Numa was soft. Um, you know, And so they were just laying these things uh, side by side Um I found it interesting that they pointed out that uh, Numa was more humane and Greek-like. I I would like to talk with that one, with y'all about that one um, and and why that's important and came out. And then when um, they talked about the virtues, uh, like Kyrgyz's virtue was courage, and we talked about that. But they identified Numa's as justice, and we we said piety. Um, But the brothers attributed piety to both of them and Justice to be his main one. So I thought that was interesting.
1: Plutarch, just heads up.
2: Oh, I keep saying the brothers because of the authorship. It's Plutarch. I'm sorry. I know this. <laughs> yeah, they're the, the the translators. I know this. Yeah, thank you. And then uh, I, I really like the way Plutarch compared how neither of them wanted war and that Lycurgus didn't want them to go to war because... He didn't want um injustice done to them by others learning their skills and bringing it back on them but numa didn't want to go them to go to war because he didn't want them to do injustice to others um so i thought that was an interesting way to lay that out side by side and talked about habit development and that they each looked at habits differently they looked at land differently one didn't want uh, one wanted Like kirkus wanted equality of land numa didn't care and so then plutarch pulled on that thread to say that that led to the in a way demise it's not the word he used i forget the word um he used i want to say it i'm not yeah he used another word and then he talked about uh, the sharing of wives and how that looked a little different in each of the rules um like Kyrgyz would loan out wives but they remained uh married to their first husband i guess and numa um they could get separated and divorced and so forth and then but they could have recalls that's what i would call it <laughs> they could they could do a recall <laughs> cuz you know they're just a possession so in either case there's a poor treatment of women the uh, the rules on marriage were different for the two for uh lycurgus he wanted them to be older and to be enthusiastic ready for marriage but for numa uh, took care of that when they were young because it was more important to prove that they were pure at 12 uh, and to marry them off in that way. So that was the more important um, character of the woman. Um, and in the end, Plutarch uh, said that hmm, I, I was wondering, right, as we go back and forth and he's laying these things out, which one is he going to say is superior? Um, and so when he pointed out, you know, that by far somebody's more greek like i'm like well that's the non greek that's interesting um and we come to the end and he says it's lycurgus because he was able to preserve in his people what he the the heritage of what he had begun it remained that's my summary my nation re- restatement
1: yeah good the Which- Comparison was probably the most frustrating part of the whole reading.
2: For you? Yeah. Why? I, I
1: don't, yeah, don't even know was. if it's necessarily because he landed on Lycurgus. Mm-hmm. I think it was more to do with... He notices all of these faults in Numa, but he never told them to us. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the story mm-hmm. of Numa, right? So you're reading... You're reading the life of Numa and the life of Lycurgus, and you just you're getting all these virtues from both of them, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden in the in the comparison, you find out all of these faults that Numa had, and it's kind of like, what? Why didn't you tell me that before? Like, there's I no way I, I there's no way I could have known this now, except because you you added this next here to tell me. And, uh, it seems like, I don't know, I guess I just wanted, I wanted to be able to, I wanted him to take me through his comparison using all the same evidence that I had right? and, and then see if I would draw the same conclusions as he did. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, he, it was like, he threw all this extra information in there. And then, you know, his comparison wins because he had more information than I had, but he withheld that information from me the whole time he was telling their stories. kind of, kind of annoying. And then, you know, there's the whole, like, is the life of it, the criteria by which to assess it? Like. It's the, it, the life of it, the length, you mean their reign, their rule, their, their, their oh. way of life they left behind. Right. Like mm-hmm. the fact that like Kyrgyz has lasted for 500 years, does that make his way better than Numa's? Because Numa's only lasted one generation or his generation and that's it.
2: So I was thinking about that. What what is it that we want within our families?
1: To see our children walking with the Lord.
2: Right. And and then what do our children hopefully want?
1: See their children walking with the Lord.
2: And so we want what what who we know, the Lord, to continue to be present. And passed not he's not passed down, but he's a he's a constant. We don't want that to change.
0: Right. Matt, what's what's an example of something he dropped on you in here that makes you feel like think less of Numa than you were thinking before? Well, not a lot, because
1: everything he dropped on me made me think less of him. <laughs> Like, why didn't you tell me that before you jerk <laughs> um but
2: man if only he could give answer the uh we should interview him next
0: I'll try and get him quiddity, no problem okay I
1: mean, most no, no, here education I think it was the stuff on education right yeah yeah, yeah. um this neglect of education page one section four page 151 Neglect mm-hmm. of education through ignorance or weakness may be forgiven in a run-of-the-mill legislator, but in a wise man like Numa, given carte launch and charged with sovereignty over a newly formed people, this oversight is hard to account for. What could be more important than to prevent conflicting norms and discordant forms of behavior from arising? The, I mean, it seems like that's his biggest, his biggest complaint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That and then, but, but then, even on the last page, when he says, when he says that Numa kept the doors, the gates closed, the gates of Janus closed, mm-hmm. as if he could somehow keep the god of war locked up inside. But there's no indication that he was keeping the doors closed. Like that implies at least, or allows me to infer that Numa kept the doors closed wrongly. Like there were times when it should have been open, and he didn't because he was right. trying to hold the God of War back. But there's no, there was no indication in the text that Numa ever avoided war wrongly or like wrongly. They, yeah. There were wars that he should have fought and didn't. Like there was yeah. no indication because uh,
0: I read that like explanation of the doors like they're open when we're, when there's war happening, and they're closed when when there's no wars anywhere. I read that like we do the same thing. Um, the presidential seal. There's like there's two different ones. Um, mm-hmm. Even like in the Oval Office, like they move it, they change it. If we're at war, it's got like arrows in its claws or something. And then if we're at peace, it's got the dollar the branch, I think. Yeah. And so it just is more of a like indicator of where we are. Right. So I didn't. Re- That's how I read that those doors thing that it was just like. It, it was like, a, like Everybody would just know if you're like in Rome, you're like oh, we're at war somewhere, right? And if they're closed, mm-hmm. like oh, we're not at war anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was strange to me too. That he was just like the, the way he worded that. Um, yeah. Also,
1: that he let people that he let people accumulate wealth and softness, like without any regard for it. Yeah, that, that was, I don't. I didn't get that sense from the original life either.
0: Right. Mm,
2: thank you. Yeah, I was re- reading that a few times. That's why. Yeah.
0: It's interesting that he almost, but Andrea, you brought this up, that he basically calls Numa Greek-like. Yeah, no, basically
2: was, he does. Numa was by far the more humane and Greek-like of the two lawgivers.
0: Well, and I and I think it's almost implied that like Kyrgyz, the Spartans were almost a precursor to the Romans, right? In, in a lot of their way that they... They live. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think we even like conflate them sometimes as moderns, like, you know, you look at like uh this is gonna be a silly example, but like like the football mascots of of Michigan State and and you the USC, like it's the Trojans and the Spartans, but they like look almost the same, right? Like it's like the helmet with the plume. Like they made that Spartan look a lot like the like it's the exact same kind of plumage and everything, right? Almost. Right. And so we think of them very similarly, like that the, the the Roman soldiers are this kind of uh, 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 inheritors of the Spartan way of life, almost. Um, and so he's, he's pra- he seems to be in praise of that as a Roman almost that this was kind of um, whereas he's maybe kind of taking a shot at the softness of the rest of the Greeks by calling Numa Greek like. Huh.
2: And thought of it like that. Yeah.
1: It almost felt like I think maybe this is why I I judged Tutark more harshly than I did Numa. But it mm-hmm. almost felt like he had some sort of prior commitment or pressure, societal pressure to choose. You like, like mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking the same this, thing. That's all this false. I, I don't know, I don't know if they're false, but you know, he just he just layers in all these accusations against Numa at the end, you know, in the comparison. And then i just felt unfair. Well,
2: okay. But I wonder if it's partly because we, when we talked, we said the highest virtue for Numa was piety. Yeah. And he didn't, he said his highest was justice yet. He mm. closed the doors, mm. right? Like, I don't, I don't understand that. Um, and that's not how I read or I thought that's not how we read his section on Numa, yeah, it wasn't about justice, but that's what he says here in the ending.
0: When I read that part, like I didn't stop to check because uh, I was just reading through, but I put a note inside. Is that right? Like, is that what we said? Do we say justice? No, and we didn't. we didn't. We said piety. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. So that's how it presented to all of us. Now we could have all read him wrong. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. When I read that line in the in the comparison, the first thing I thought was. Well, what is his understanding of justice and his understanding of piety?
2: Okay. That we
1: that I'm that I picked the wrong word, you know, or that yeah. we right, remember. right. Um, is his view of piety more encompassing or less encompassing, or whatever that lets him see it in both men in ways that we didn't, and then right. you know, lets him see justice in. Numa as the driving force in Numa in ways that we didn't, you know, because it definitely seemed like all of his examples were about were about piety, you know, like the, these rituals, right. these these um, festivals and stuff for the gods, rather yeah. than, you know, about justice. He didn't, I mean, I, I don't know. See, here's my American mind, maybe, but like right. he didn't talk about the court system. What is, That's, that's right. justice, right? Um, and then if justice really was his all-encompassing or his all-driving force, then but then what he says about the education, what, what Plutarch says about the education, about how what was the phrase he used, that he allowed he allowed them to develop conflicting norms mm-hmm. doesn't sound like somebody who's driven by justice.
2: I think I might see where he gets the word justice um, because he says that Numa tried to keep them from committing injustice upon others.
1: Right. That's the one thing that he did that has to do with justice. Yeah, that's all
0: I I got. Conquering war, basically. Yeah. 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 It's.
2: It doesn't seem consistent, which is why I flagged it in mine and wanted to talk with you all about it.
0: Right. Because I even wanted to go. you were talking about. Go ahead.
1: Well, it's just it's not a Platonic view of justice. Uh, it, it's a Roman view of justice, which is interesting because there's so many places where he makes direct allusions to Plato. As yeah, I mean, I'm even sure. if they footnote it in that one section, but like near the end when he says, um, uh, "That is a question that demands a long answer." And one that may not convince those who value wealth, luxury, and power more than security, benevolence, and self sufficiency combined with justice. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Hicks brothers note that that's, a, that's Plutarch channeling Plato in a most explicit way. Because mm-hmm. Plato yeah. has this whole section, or Socrates has this whole section in the Republic where he says, you know, somebody that values wealth won't understand why this other person values honor. Because honor is a higher good. So he can't understand, if he values wealth, he can't understand honor as a driving mm-hmm. motivation. But then the person who desires wisdom desires something higher than honor even. And so the person who desires wealth and the person who desires honor won't understand the person who is driven by their desire for wisdom. Because it's higher than, they can, than they're can they capable of receiving, right? Or comprehending and so he's making that kind of a point like you're making these you're saying these things, but I can't answer your question because you're driven by this lower level good than the answer. And the answer requires acceptance of a higher level good. So that's the, I mean, it is like Hick- the, the right that is like it pretty, pretty directly channeling Plato on that point. But well, that's but then the- to say that justice is this is this thing you don't do to other people. Right. Is true, but it's a very reduced view of justice, right? Like we've, the, the platonic form of justice would be, would, it, would, would it absolutely include the idea that the community is working in harmony with each other. Mm-hmm. And if, if Numa is actually allowing them to have conflicting norms, and right. uh, he, he actually says, and he says, conflicting norms and discordant forms of behavior. Yeah. Scored in forms of behavior is, is explicitly not harmonious really, inharmonious relationships, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem like Numa is concerned with justice at all, except on that one point, if these accusations are correct, right?
0: Yeah. Rex, right, I even went back to 147 at the top when he talks about he gave, even gave the slaves the a taste of, sorry, at the very top yeah. of 147.
2: Yeah, I need section. Uh, right, right before you copy. get to
0: right before you get to section two, so like to the very yeah, end of section yep. one. Thanks. He even gave the slaves a taste of liberty by seeing them with their masters during the feast of Saturnalia, and so like even there, it's less, uh,
2: yeah,
0: not so much justice as it is liberty, right? Freedom um, as a as a virtue. Um, yeah, but Matt, you, where you talked about that's where I, I immediately paused and. Thought okay, that's because he's um, the part you were just talking about that channels Plato. He finishes that paragraph uh, before that that says, "And so Numa's just and noble experiment in government lasted but a moment because it lacked the one thing that might have per- preserved it: education." And that mm-hmm. might be a fair point to set aside and think about. Okay, he had g- gotten kind of an education wisdom that he maybe he should have been more concerned with passing on. That maybe that's a, that is a fault for Numa. Okay, so that's that's kind of a separate thought. And he says, but then he has this quote, says, What are you saying it would have been better for Rome not to have grown and vanquished her enemies? And before I even went on, I wrote great question with a Roman audit for a Roman audience, right? Like that's a dangerous question almost. And then he but then he says what you said that, that is a question that demands a long answer and one that may not convince those who value wealth, luxury, and power more than security, uh, benevolence and self sufficiency combined with justice. And so I had the same thought as you like is he trying to thread a needle here because of his audience in some ways or is he is there someone he's having to try to appease you know we've had conversations mm-hmm. in the past about people bring up things about Virgil was he trying to write some when he wrote the Aeneid was he trying to appease uh, what, August, is it Augustus who's emperor um but then maybe is he also subverting and like sneaking in little things in there you know and so that's the mm-hmm. kind of how I was so those questions have been raised. Wherever you fall on those is another conversation, but that's what so I was wondering as I went back in here. Is like, okay, is he like have to hedge toward like like mm-hmm. but not bag too much on Numa who you know brought peace or whatever. And and then I went back to the to the thing about the the, the slaves, and he mm-hmm. says others say that this is done in memory of the age of Saturn a golden age when there was neither master nor slave and all men lived as brothers as equals. And I was and I my note that I had written was interesting that the Roman golden age is Christian in character, right? No, neither slave nor Jew, no. hmm. And then finally, I went back, wait, when was he writing again? Mm-hmm. In the first he's born in the middle of the first century and lives to the middle of the second century. So how many things, how many like competing ideas for what is good justice and piety are floating around in Plutarch's head if he's if he's operating within Rome and there's this kind of rising Christian movement that treats people very differently. It's got a whole different set of values that's now coming into this mix, but he's not really writing about that explicitly, but in the mm-hmm. middle of comparison, Roman and Greek, but the Greeks that are most like the Romans and a Roman who is most like the Greeks, <laughs> This is like sneaking into the conversation. I don't know. It was just very interesting to me to think about when he's writing this and what is he trying to, like you said, what is he trying to balance with his audience? Yeah.
2: So I, when you were speaking, what jumped out at me about what you shared was about the educational component. Mm -hmm. And so um, if the thing he faults Numa for at the very end is his lack of educating, um, and, and a man of his caliber should have, right? Like there's no excuse. Um, he should he, like he wouldn't have missed it. Um but that's what he's doing now. Is he's, he's choosing to educate in something and mm-hmm. how he guides us to understand these men and their lives. Um, and so then I wonder when when you added about the history of the time and all of the ideas that are swirling at the time that he's living. Um this is totally made up and we'll just have fun for a moment. Just give me a moment. Um, what if his writing of this happened in, in very different, like, you know, 10 years apart or more?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and did that play into this? Because like authors do pick up and put down things and come back to them. And um, and is that why there's inconsistencies here that we're seeing?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, a much later man looked back and did the comparison, something like that.
1: Yeah. That's quickly. possible for sure. I mean, I don't have no idea. There's, right.
2: Yeah, no, I'm just totally having fun now.
1: There's probably some <laughs> scholarly work that indicates the, indicates whether that's the case or not, but yeah. it's, it's interesting to think like I would, I would at the age of 30 evaluate like curious differently than I would evaluate NUMA when I'm 45, for example. Right.
2: Yes, and, absolutely.
1: Uh, right. So that does seem to be one way of possibly understanding this. Um, I think Brandon, the subversive element might've been what I was, what I was thinking subconsciously when I said that, um, maybe he had to pick like because of societal pressure, right? Like he has to pick the guy that's more Roman like as they were then, uh, in his day. Um, but he's, and so he's going to like say this negative stuff about, about Numa because he has to bring him down a notch because the lives themselves Perhaps put Numa above Lycurgus, and then, but then he wants people to realize: like you picked Lycurgus, but you actually shouldn't have. You actually should have picked Numa. Mm-hmm. Like, like their think like that's their response to him. There's a um, there's a an essay. I I don't want to bring too much attention to it. I don't want to like name say, name names and stuff. But there's an essay out there on the internet that was written by somebody relatively or you know, pre-scholarly probably. And um, I don't know him. So, um, but he has a whole essay where he's basically arguing against the reading of Plato, the study of Plato in schools. And some people probably know that I, I actually agree with this guy, <laughs> but I dis- disagree with all of his reasons. <laughs> uh, and, and then my reasons are usually not, acceptable to people so I get it just gets ignored anyways um but so when I'm reading the article when I was reading this essay it was very frustrating for me because I'm like I agree with his thesis I just don't agree with any of his art proofs you know mm, yeah. and I was talking to somebody a professor at a another college liberal arts college about it and the professor told me that he thought that the guy was actually trying to get people to read Plato. Hmm.
2: Like to investigate that. it for themselves
1: by saying yeah, no. Like basically saying you should read Plato and here's why and then everybody would read his article and think those are the worst reasons ever. I'm absolutely going to start reading Plato with my kids. Yeah. And and then and, and this professor was suggesting that maybe the author was doing that on purpose. Like he mm-hmm. wanted people to respond that way. And there's a very interesting there's a very interesting dissertation that was written for the university of Dallas. It's online. It was written like in the eighties or nineties. You can find it online, you know, one of those dissertation search websites, whatever. Um, but the guy, the author, the person who authored it, I can't I don't remember if it's a man or a woman, um, the person who authored it made the same argument about the Republic. That Socrates is saying, you can't read the poets. Mm. And you're and these are all the reasons because the poets are the poets are saying all this stuff and it's wrong. But that Socrates is actually intentionally misinterpreting the poets. Mm. So like when you actually even the lines he quotes, if you go read those in context, they're not saying what he says they're saying. And that the reason he was doing that is because the Athenians were misinterpreting the poets to justify bad behavior. So that he comes along and says, you're misinterpreting the poets or no, he's not saying you're misinterpreting the poets. He's saying th- the poets are wrong, and here's why. But he's misinterpreting the poets to provoke the Athenians into saying, "No, no, no, you're misinterpreting the poets." Thereby making them properly interpret the poets, mm-hmm. and therefore opening the door for them to be allowed to have the poets again. And it's this kind of like weird um, esoteric, like, like reverse psychology kind of approach, yeah, right? Yeah. And so then is that what like Hergis is, or sorry, what? Plutarch is doing, is Huttark using reverse psychology on us, on them, to get them to appreciate Numa more? Mm-hmm. I don't right, know.
2: I mean, near, near, I don't know if it's kind of near nearer the end of his first section of the comparison. He says, Numa was able to accomplish his task through friendly persuasion, whereas Lycurgus like, barely succeeded in his task. And even then, only after running many risks and suffering personal attacks, it's like he lays it out like that in the first section, you know. So, and, oh. and I was just wondering, what are, what are you getting at? Like, why, why lay it? Why put them side by side like that? Right. They both accomplish their tasks. I, I mean, I don't. It just it, it wasn't comfortable.
1: Well, and, and then the and then the um, the line that we already read, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: Brandon and I both I think read it, but. Mm-hmm where he says, they ask, are you saying it would have been better for Rome not to have grown and banquished her enemies? And then he responds, well, that's a, that's a question that demands a long answer. And one may not convince people like you. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a way of provoking them to say, whoa, well, we're not people like that. And then start changing their, yeah. their good, the good that they're willing, you know, that they're desirous of mm-hmm. from wealth and honor to honor and wisdom, virtue and wisdom. I don't yeah. know. This Plutarch man, he's crafty. Mm-hmm. I read the passage and I hated it. And then you guys start talking about him. like, oh, maybe this guy's a little cleverer than I thought.
2: <laughs> I I think he's educating people. I do. Um, mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting because we we talked about this a little bit. I think most of the last two shows that when he presents lives, they they tend to be either a, like uh, an encomium or a vituperation, right? Like he's either praising the person primarily, or you said know, there's a few of them where he like is pretty harsh on the person, even in even in their even when he's presenting the life, he's pretty harsh on them. And so he's presenting he he, he definitely his kind of the exercise he's engaging in through all of this whole set of sets of lives. Is presenting us models right either good or bad models um, and then and then doing the comparison and so this idea that like his comparison may not be straightforward like it may be sometimes crafty um, is interesting because I think we would we would say as classical educators that what you really want to be teaching the students to do is how to, how to make those comparisons for themselves, how to judge for themselves, right. And not give them the answer, but how to judge um, what's worthy of imitating and what's worthy of, um, you know, avoiding. Um, So that, that raises a really interesting question. Like, is he trying to do that same thing the teacher would do through his text by maybe sometimes overstating something and using hyperbole or, um, or outright purposely say, misinterpreting or, or mis, misrepresenting after he's given you the life, right? Because like, he gave us Newman, we were like, oh, we love this guy, you yeah. know, and then he takes you off. That's really interesting. I never thought of that before.
1: Yeah. You know the debate rule in, like, formal debate where you're not allowed to bring new evidence up during the conclusion? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, obviously the rule exists because in a debate, you know, both sides have to have the opportunity to respond to what has been said, right? Um, so you if you bring something up in the conclusion, but the other team doesn't have time scheduled for them to be able to respond to it, then you know, been unfair to them. I wonder if there's something deeper to it than that, though, like like as human beings, we won't accept evidence. That's being brought up in the conclusion Mm. because Mm. it's, it just, it's inherent. Like, like we just know, we sense deep within us that it's just wrong.
0: It's unfair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and if Plutarch, if like, that's part of my, my react, my reaction, right. Right. To Plutarch was you're being unfair. You brought all this stuff in and it's not, you know. Wrong time. But what? But there again, like, what if Plutarch is doing that intentionally because he knows it'll be dismissed? That that is the natural reaction to evidence brought up in the conclusion. But everybody will reject, or that people will reject that evidence because it's unfair. And so he so he brings it up here, so that it will be rejected, so that his conclusion will be rejected, so that the Romans will recognize Numa as the, the superior. I don't are we getting like way too conspiracy theorist here <laughs>
0: well yeah it may, it may, I mean maybe it's not even <laughs> that he wants like it might works that we're we're assuming I mean in that case you're assuming Numa as the superior right and yeah. and maybe or maybe not he would agree with us on that because we have a different lens we're looking at like we have a different set of values right that we value things um as 21st century Christians but the Wait, we're in the 22nd century, aren't we? Did I just do that? No, 21st. I'm going crazy. Um, you time machine. Um, <laughs> no. Don't uh, take me with you. The, but, but maybe it's not that he wants them to say, maybe you, don't have, you, maybe you don't have to go as far as to say he wants them to see that Nume as the superior, but that he wants them to temper this kind of what might be the most uh, natural in their current society love for Lycurgus and the Roman, the current Roman way of conquering with this, with a better appreciation of, of Numa and what he did. And even if he really, maybe he really feels like it was a failing that it didn't last because he really wanted it. He would rather there have been a long lasting peace, right? Or he'd rather see another reign of peace for Rome. And so maybe he really is criticizing Numa that, he didn't educate the next generation. He didn't raise up another leader, right? A group of leaders like Plato would have told him to do right, educated these kind of philosopher, a class that a philosopher can rise out of. Um, so maybe that's a real knock, but only because he actually believes that his noble experiment was worth trying to replicate. Um, but he can't come out and just say that, right? Uh, so,
1: Which is interesting too, because, when he does point out the valor, the values, or the value of like Lycurgus, one of his major points is he used war, or he used strength to prevent injustices from being done against them. Whereas the Roman way of life, and perhaps if, if what you're saying is, is if, if what you're saying is true, that the Romans did see themselves as kind of a Latter-day Spartan um, that they were misapplying the Spartan way of life and using it for
0: Empire for building
1: ending or an empire building rather than for defense and protect and stability and that. so even there he's like even even in praise of Lycurgus he's challenging their way of thinking about war right. So you see yourselves as Spartans, but Spartans actually use more defensively, not offensively. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. They lived this very kind of Spartan lifestyle in order to prevent themselves from being overtaken and to prevent themselves from reaching for what they ought not reach for. Right. And to to be satisfied with having Sparta that was secure.
2: Do you think it's valid to raise against Numa that he didn't have a succession plan?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. When um, when I was reading that part, I thought a lot about um, the the chronicles of the kingdoms in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Right, like you get a good king, but it hardly ever lasts to the next generation. Mm -hmm. Like they're kind of few and far between. And so it's, it seems almost like that, right? Like he was just prepared by his own lifestyle and education and temperament to step into that role and create a space of peace where there had been both internal and external turmoil, Mm -hmm. but then it couldn't pass on. And so it made me wonder like what, uh, what to take from that as far as how we think about education and educating ourselves and our children to be good leaders they may still not get chosen, right? Like the the the, the spirit of the age may pass over goodly. <laughs> they may not choose a <laughs> So I don't know, it was interesting.
2: He didn't particularly highlight like Herges's programming, you know, as um I mean he explained it, but it, I don't feel like he said it in such a way that it was expressed that we need to copy that. We need to imitate mm-hmm. that. I don't I don't feel like it was expressed in that manner.
1: The the um, the succession plan thing is the hardest question for me to accept. Like, I, did you say you you do think it's a it's a legitimate criticism to point out that he didn't have a succession plan?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in I, a family, I have right? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't have to agree with me. That's all right.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's the thing is like I can think of a thousand reasons why you're right.
2: Mm-hmm
1: also think of a thousand reasons why it's wrong
2: mm-hmm.
1: i don't know i always struggle with it like
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know paul tells timothy that you know no man should be a pastor unless he's the husband of one wife and his children walk in the lord or he tells up to titus i think but and which me, which indicates somehow that the man is responsible for his children walking in the lord which sounds like a succession plan um or you know, continuation plan, right. right? But then, like David and his sons, and yet David's like one of the great greatest kings of Israel,
2: and greatly flawed.
1: And the 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 problem that the Bible points out, anyways, at least explicitly, is not his inability to and raise his children to walk after him, but you know that he. Committed adultery and murder, right? Mean, I don't know. Um like 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 there are people who criticize for criticize David for not having children who walked in the Lord after him, but that's not explicitly pointed out in the text. It's something that mm-hmm. we bring to it, right? From elsewhere, like Paul's letters to Titus or Paul's letter to Titus. Um and then, you know, I mean, <laughs> who is the 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 fullness of fatherhood is god the father right but he lost his two children right out right in the garden of eden i don't know
2: yeah i i I don't i don't have an answer for how it's supposed to happen um and i'm just saying that i think it's valid to bring it up to put that out for consideration Um, um against NUMA, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know where ultimately the responsibility of that lies because each human being is given free choice.
1: Right, right, right. The very thing that we would, the very thing that the listener who just heard me criticize God, <laughs> um, or it that sounded listener. like I was criticizing God, I mean, the very response is going to be, yeah, but he gave them free will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he also gave my children free will how mm-hmm. come i don't get a pass for that you know? right. <laughs> um, or or even the question about you know the husband of one wife and a happy home and you know get a home whatever um god is the you know god is the husband of israel and israel constantly commits adultery as a nation all throughout right yep. like, yes they have free will i get it right But we all do. I don't know. It's, it's just the hardest thing in the world for me to, um, to think like, like it's the criticism of, of every human teacher ever. Mm -hmm. You can't even think of one that doesn't get criticized for, oh, well, Charlotte Mason was great, but Charlotte Masoners are awful. Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Dorothy Sayers was great, but Dorothy Sayers Sayersers are awful. Plato was great, but Platonists were awful. Uh, I mean, whatever name that it doesn't matter. You can name anybody, and there's somebody out there who will criticize their followers. Oh, Thomas Aquinas was great, but yep. but Thomas today are annoying or whatever,
0: you know? Yeah, Calvin and Calvinists. Yeah, you get it, you hear all those, right? Right,
1: Calvin. right, right. You can name any theologian, any teacher, anybody right. ever. Um, and and then the the lover of the teacher will defend them, defend the teacher as. Yeah, but he's not responsible for his followers. Right. And then a legitimate question to raise, even though I hate it, is mm-hmm. isn't he isn't he responsible for his followers? Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: what did he do that allowed them to descend so quickly or to fall so quickly or whatever? You know, what did he fail to do? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Those are yeah, those are really all interesting comparisons, especially for Numa, because like you, put, you, you said David early on. Like their, their comparisons so interesting, right? Both kind of plucked from obscurity, raised to this position, and both because of they were pious to begin with. Like they started out pious, right? Or not started out, but by the time they're when they're chosen, David's out there writing Psalms when he's when he's tending the sheep, right? And 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 Numas out among the, you know, the the various. Um, places dedicated to the gods and the woods and all that kind of stuff. And that's how they're spending their life. And then they're chosen for this by the people, um, Mm -hmm. which brings up a fascinating question, right? Like clearly in Numa's time, this idea of hereditary kingship wasn't like cemented in Rome because they're picking guys. Right. Um, and same, same with Israel. David's only the second King and he's not Saul's son. And so, um, at what point is it the fault of the people who are not pious, who are not following the example of the king and the admonitions of the priests um, about how to live their life? That when it when the time comes to replace Numa, they pick a guy who cracks open the gates of war, right? Like um, wh- why almost is that? as a
1: campaign promise, pick me and I'll crack open the gates of war. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We don't see anything like that in American politics, where it's like, pick me and I'll do this. And it has horrible, horrible unintended consequences. Um, but it, yeah. So that's that, that. That to me is very interesting. And then you bring up the teachers, right? Th- those are leaders. Those are kings. Those are, um, and then. But I mean, just reading Socrates, the dialogues that Plato gives us, right? Like, how many of those guys does he fail to keep from going off over the edge? Right. Like the, all those guys are his students, right? Uh. Alcibiades who we covered earlier you know last year on here and and Glaucon, all these guys who he's trying to reach and who just reject the parts that aren't get gonna give them power right, and then you have to make your own choices about you know how far did Aristotle stray from what Plato taught him and and then his and then you got his student who's going around conquering the world. Right. It's like, so so that's, you're, only, you're not that many generations removed from what we consider these great teachings to a guy who's got no problem conquering people, too, um, and naming everything after himself.
1: Uh, so, so so many cities named Alexandria.
0: Yeah.
1: So many cities. Right,
0: like, like what kind of like that's pretty bad, right? Like he's so full of himself that he's just naming everything after himself. Um. Hmm. And trying to outdo his dad, Uh, right? So, but we tell this to educators all the time, right? Are we, this is a a message that we try and get out there, I think, to people working in education. Like, you can't be in control of of the results, whether it's your own kid or someone else's. Just because you're doing education the right way, classically, does not ensure the results. Um, And that's like the worst thing for a parent to hear. Like the parents, no one wants to hear that, right? That if I even if I don't mess up, my kid might wander from the Lord and wander from all kinds of stuff. And so
1: the Greek word pedagogue, you know, that we typically translate as teacher is um, well, honestly, I, I kind of want to do like a study of pedagogue and the word pedagogue, and then whatever other words there are for teacher, because um, pedagogue is actually the name for the slave that brings the kid to school that like escorts the child to school. schools. Nice. And the idea is that the, um, you know, there's this tutor teacher, whatever this person at the school that they're going to learn from, but the pedagogue is the person who makes sure that he goes and make right. sure he gets back and make sure he does his work and whatever. Um, the, uh, but then from there, like we talk about pedagogy and the pedagogue, and and the perhaps the thing that we need to be bringing forward from that understanding is that if I'm a pedagogue practicing pedagogy, I'm leading the student to the lesson, to the teacher. I'm not teaching the student. Then who is, is Christ, the Logos? um the, the the thing that's being observed the holy spirit the the, the soul within him right like there's something else that's doing the teaching and i'm just the 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 verb that was used somebody used this verb on me earlier today during a meeting but they said that we convey the students to the to the lesson to the logos that they then have to perceive the student has to perceive it's himself, right? But I'm just I just bring him to it, uncover it for him, you know. A, so can I'm I be a
2: conveyor like, belt?
1: Yeah, yeah, like kind of like a conveyor belt, right? The same word, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, which then I think highlights the Greek word I think highlights your point, right? And that that we don't the student has to will to accept it or or open his eyes to see it. It's open and, by the soul to perceive it well Christ has to do that and the Holy Spirit has to do that or something you know but
0: isn't there not, I, I, mean, I don't know hard to do. I don't know the language well enough but isn't there also a um, like pupil and student come from different roots like white right like one of them is one of them's when they're just being forced to go and at some point it, the person who's choosing to learn is the student or something like that I, I can't remember the roots I remember hearing someone talk about this but in the like they would have used different words for the kid who's just being sent and has to go under compulsion. Mm-hmm. Right. And at the t- and then when they choose to go be someone's student to go sit under Socrates, to go sit under somebody, they've now taken ownership. So they're now a they're no longer a pupie or they're they're pupil, they're whatever the word is, we're translating into student. I can't remember what it was now. But um there's mm-hmm. that well, difference too. 100%. What's that? One who studies. One who studies. Yeah.
2: What is apprentice? Where does that come? I, mean, I know that's a skill. Yeah.
1: I don't know etymology of it. I don't either. I think this is from Prender like to, prendre to reach out. One who who reaches out. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we've kind of danced through the questions. I would have raised as questions, or we were, I had kind of my list about some of these comparisons, how we think. Do we agree with plutarch's assessment and clear, clearly we had issues with it but now but now we have more questions about those issues if they're intentional or not it's interesting andrea you brought up this idea that if he had written if he had kind of evaluated these two lives at different points in his own life and matt you mentioned you might have read it differently you know 30 is 18. yeah my my son who's about to be 20 loves plutarch like i mentioned but he loves like so he loves the life like Lycurgus. Mm. And I think that probably draws a lot of young men, right? Um, Guys who are drawn to military service, guys, you know, these, this is this kind of like rugged lifestyle that's gonna make me strong and immovable and that kind of thing. Um, And then the three of us seem to have more appreciation as uh, for for Numa, maybe uh, for other reasons, right? A, A change in highest loves, highest virtues. Um so that that's an interest that was an interesting that you brought that up that if he had written these at different times. I mean, there's no evidence that we know of anyway for that. But yeah, yeah.
2: Sometimes it's fun to make believe.
0: What what I yeah, what I see it like however we read his comparison, whether he's it's straightforward and he really means what he's saying, exactly how he's saying it, if he's trying to get us, to think, um, if we disagree with certain points of his, if we disagree or disagree with his he should have educated. Numa should have educated people better, so someone else could have taken his place. Um, and to what extent we agree with that? Um, what I'm left with what he doesn't do in the comparison, uh, and I'd be interested to hear y'all thought y'all y'all's thoughts on on what the exercise is for us with this. Um, he doesn't go into too much detail, maybe because he's favoring one over the other, um, about how to reconcile these these two, right? Like if I want to draw from both these things, if I see there's good in what, like Herger said, there's good in what Numa did. Mm. Um, I mean, the one line he gives us is, which I thought was really, what I did actually think was pretty telling, was that when he says they both, um, oh, now I'm not going to be able to find it fast enough. Uh, this is in section two, the second paragraph. Changing the habits of their respective citizens, removing their excesses and supplying what they lacked, demanded change on a massive scale. So the one thing he puts is that in both cases, I put in my note, is that in both cases, a move toward temperance and moderation. At least that's his assessment, right? That that one was too um, licentious and they needed to be taught to how to be, you know, Spartan to be spare and others were too aggressive and they needed to be taught how to be you know have some, some peace right there was an excess of of some virtue let's say uh, that needed to be brought back um but other than that he doesn't give us that much so my question is you know how do you, how do we as the readers go about reconciling what to take from these two lives forward yeah i
2: could go cafeteria style <laughs> this one and this one and this one. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I look at war. Is it better to approach it as I don't want to do injustice to others, or I don't want to allow others to do injustice to me? Mm-hmm. Right, and I can sit with that one. Mm. Um, and I do feel like Plato very much informed that area. You know, how he how he divided land uh lycurgus looked at it equally and numa didn't um and what did that look like but i don't know if you pull them out and handle it cafeteria and put together a whole different something right because it's a whole different thing right it has a different trajectory it has a different um, culture that you've then created so i don't know that that's how i don't know Uh, but i yeah
0: i like that though to some extent because it's it's an exercise in like you may not be able to put them all together as one big program, but as mm-hmm. a, as an individual person, it's an exercise in how to hold those things in tension, right? How to be both properly uh, willing to to correct an injustice somewhere else, but also to protect against injustice, you know, here at home, um, or an exercise in how to be able to live simply. And be grateful for the for what you have, but also not completely divorce yourself from from uh, being engaged in making things that are beautiful and, and art and and um, mm. like I, I'm struck by the idea that only the slaves were making any kind of art in yeah. in Sparta. Um, I think we have examples of incredible things that have come out of art of enslaved peoples. Even in our own country, but we also but there's also a limit um there there's also a limiting factor to uh, no one who has free uh leisure to think and can contemplate and create there's a to a limitation to some of that art too right um, the slaves gonna have a limited access to let's say the certain kinds of the kinds of instruments they could use to make music whereas the free man is going to have the range of the symphony, right? So, 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 Bach's going to have this capacity that doesn't exist for someone who has a a drum they made out of a, a can. You know what I mean? Like, so, I don't know. There's a, there's a tension there. So maybe what you're bringing up is an exercise in how do I hold these two truths, these two virtues, these two values, these two good things in tension.
2: Treat it like a golden mean. If those are the two things on the end. Is there a way to carry them both?
0: Yeah. them? Yeah. If both these men were correct, having to correct an excess in their societies, but then it seems like they that ultimately went in excess in the other direction at some point, how do you keep that pendulum from going, you know, from every time you try and correct an excess, you end up with the other, the opposite? Right. We should do a Quiddity podcast episode where we um,
1: discuss what what virtue should be the governing virtue for the creation for the ruling of a city.
0: I like this idea. Okay, I'm going to jot that one down. People have to send their answer without any explanation, and then Mm. I'll gather I'll gather people who disagree, and we can duke it out verbally. What's next? Up next, um, we are going to return to somewhere we were a few months ago uh, and come back to Herodotus. So uh, if you've been following along with this, you know that we covered book one, uh, I don't know, four five months ago, maybe four months ago. And we're going to return for book two. So if you didn't do book one yet, you have time to go catch up and join us. Um, I think I will be... Uh, that that Andrea and and Papa Bianco will be will be tagging out and two other Biancos will be tagging in. And so uh, we'll get the the Herodotus gang back together, which was uh, Patty and and Alec. So that should be fun, fun for me. I was wanted to see what was next where we left off. So um, I think we jump into a bunch of stuff with the Egyptians in book two. So that should be kind of cool.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. The Greek view of the Egyptians would be interesting place to get next. Yeah. So that's next. Uh, and then well, we've got a couple other things on the horizon. Some Aristotle, you know, come back to some more church fathers, that kind of good stuff. So we'll try and get the rest of that uh, list for the next couple of books up soon and uh, get us through into the some, some place to go for the new year. So, yeah, this was fun. It was good to be back with you guys, man. I missed hanging out with you guys.
1: Agreed. We'll do it again someday.
0: Yes yeah but only if we pick another greek right you're not coming back for anything else but greeks apparently
1: right. i don't these romans are too much of
0: <laughs> all right okay. i'm games yeah stop yeah. messing around stop trying to please your emperor and just tell me the truth um, all right well thank you all for joining us um hope you'll join us next week as like i said as we jump into herodotus again be sure to send your questions or comments to podcasts at searcyinstitute.org. Uh, check out Galmont Ivy, our sponsor for this month. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network.